thank you for that hope, Lord. We thank you that we can look to you, Lord, when everything around us is just out of control, seems like spinning out of control with no end, Lord. We thank you that you can bring clarity to us, Lord, and that focus. We pray for those who don't know, who don't know that hope, Lord. Just pray that today will be the day that you would just give them that peace, Lord, that only comes from looking at you, Lord, and knowing you. So would you bless this message and the time together, Lord? Would you speak to us, Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Good morning and welcome. You can be seated. Thank you. I want to welcome those of you that are joining us online. We're so very glad that you are. This is our first of two services on Sunday morning, which is devoted to the weekly Bible prophecy update. Uh, second service, which will be at 11.15 a.m. Hawaii Standard Time. That'll be live streamed as well is our verse-by-verse -verse study through the Bible. We're currently in 1 John, the third chapter. And today we're going to look at why it is that the fruit from my life will always expose what's at the root of my life. It's got a catch to it, yeah? Nice title. Just humor me. Tell me it's a nice title. Uh, those of you that are watching by way of YouTube and Facebook, um, you might want to go directly to the website at jdfrog.org, because at some point we'll end the live stream, and uh, there you'll find the uninterrupted and uncensored entirety of today's update. So with that, let's get started. What I want to talk with you about today is what I'm going to affectionately refer to as one having a pre-trib rapture preparedness. And the reason I'm choosing this title and topic is because whether we realize it or not, we are being prepared. And even in some cases programmed, dare I say, it's not really a matter of if we're being prepared. It's more a question of, are we prepared for what's being prepared? I know this might come off as maybe an oversimplification, but I'll say it nonetheless. We're either prepared by the world for the world, or we're prepared to be taken out of the world. And this by way of the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, which I will never shrink back from. I don't care who says what about that. I will never cower or falter or be intimidated by anybody that says, you're so dogmatic about the pre-tribulation rapture. <laughs> I needed to get that off my chest right out of the chute. But the pre-tribulation rapture is when we who are alive and remain are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. 
as 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17 in my Bible says. But the sad truth is that the masses, including professing Christians, <laughs> are actually being readied for the tribulation coming upon the world, and not the pre-trib rapture when we're taken out of the world. And that's just the fact of the matter, sadly. Even sadder, not only are many Christians not prepared for our soon departure in the rapture, they, along with others, including some pastors, and teachers, demean those, belittle those who dare to believe that the rapture of the church, the pre-trib rapture of the church can happen like right now. <laughs> I was just checking. It's actually even worse than that. I want to get this out of the way. so. But it's worse than that, because teachers of Bible prophecy are joining in and piling on anyone who dares to suggest that we don't have decades before the rapture could happen. But we are that generation. But anybody who, who dares to say that, you're a date setter. Stop. Just stop. I, I didn't realize I'm so upset already, and I, we haven't even started. I, let me try to calm down. I, Lord, I'm sorry. Just help me. Actually, I, I, I'm, I'm going to share with you <laughs> a most interesting email that we received a couple of days ago. I'm going to share some portions of this email with you. Um, it speaks to this exact issue. I mean, I have been struggling personally, and we get this email, and I'm like, Lord, thank you. You knew I needed someone to email this to me. So I want to share it with you. Good day, Pastor JD. I follow you online from Trinidad in the Caribbean. Today, however, I would like to spell out very plainly yet another reason why I appreciate your ministry. A pastor, while he seemed concerned about the harm caused by date setting, had an attitude towards those among us who are excited about Christ's return, and it was very discouraging. He said of these brethren that their eschatology lacked scholarship and academia, and that they should not try to teach Hebrew and Greek, because they are so far from a proper knowledge of these languages. <laughs> I didn't write this, okay, just so you know. I could have, maybe not as well, but I've been struggling with this. 
And she's hitting the proverbial nail on the head. Because there seems to be this, I'll use her word, attitude on the part of some who possess certain academic credentials, have a proper understanding of the original Hebrew and Greek language, are biblically qualified in their scholarship that have sort of banded together now and teamed up on and piled up on brothers and sisters in Christ who are going, hey, yeah, but where are your degrees? Where are the letters after your name? I don't have any. So I changed my name. I just put the letters in front of my name, JD. which stands for Jesus' disciple, by the way. Reminds me of the Apostle Paul. I'll get back to the email, just bear with me. But it reminds me of the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians in his first letter, by the time he gets, I mean, just at the beginning, by the time he gets to the second chapter, he writes about how that he did not come to them seeking to impress them with his intellect. He did not come to persuade them with the eloquence of His speech. Rather, He came to preach Jesus and Him crucified. And here's a guy that by any standard, I mean pretty impressive, and he could assert, I would have, which is why God probably never allowed me to ever further my education. I barely graduated high school. I'm not proud of that. But I just think that God still chooses to use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise and the weak to shame the strong. Nothing wrong with that, except that when that becomes the credential, the authentic authentication, the validation. And there's this superiority like, well, who are you? You're a nobody. Well, last time I checked, God uses nobodies. <laughs> I love how one said it, you're not in the who's who. Well, I'm in the who's he. This is a problem. And I'm going to just hit it head on, because I see it getting worse. So she's just sharing her heart with me about her struggle with this idea that you have to have eschatological scholarship and knowledge of the Greek and Hebrew and you have to have the academic credentials to be able to even teach Bible prophecy. <laughs> Quoting the email again, very well written. He did not have to call the names of the brethren he was levying his attack on. I was so disheartened to hear him speak this way. 
I know I'm no theologian and am not a graduate of any cemetery, actually seminary. She didn't say cemetery. I added that. But of late, I've taken a position to be somewhat of a watcher because of what I observe where I am. But after hearing him, I doubted whether I should even desire or pursue such a course. After all, I do not know Hebrew or Greek, but I can surely make a good go at researching the Scriptures. Oh, does it make me less worthy to, and this makes me want to cry, does it make me less worthy to labor in the vineyard because I am not as learnt as he or they? Sometimes I wonder if brothers like this and such likes are angry more at the fact that these brethren are revealing information that they did not have years ago, especially since some of them have many books out there about end time prophecies and what they felt were signs of the times. Now they know that they were wrong. And it seems to me that they're still trying to justify their positions from years before. That position is just as damaging as the brothers he's accusing. He did not seem too kind, in my opinion, not very gracious, almost not embracing them as brethren in the Lord. Before I found your ministry two years ago, it was these preachers I was listening to, and it was exactly this effect their preaching had on me. They did not call a specific date, but they did not need to. And I made some very important decisions based on what they taught, and they puzzled me too. I, I heard them planning for things way into the future while delivering these powerful sermons of Christ's soon return. Then I listened to some of their conferences and was left puzzled and even angry. People ask questions like, is the Antichrist alive today? Or how long after the rapture would the tribulation begin? Or how long before the rapture happens? Here's one answer. We don't know if the Antichrist is alive. My brain can't make sense of this. The rapture could happen anytime, but the tribulation could begin months, years, or even 50 years from now. These same preachers use John 14 to prove the rapture, making reference to a Galilean wedding. When the Scriptures tell us that when we see certain things begin to happen, look up for your redemption draweth near. Where do these two examples fit in with an answer as stated earlier? They do confuse me greatly. Then, with respect to when the rapture will occur, I have actually heard one of them in an interview say, it could be as much as 50 years from now. Imagine that. I'm like you, Pastor. I love you. <laughs> I feel sorry for you, but if you're like me. But she goes on to write, there goes my blessed hope. These preachers say that even though everything is lining up, God could make it play out for as long as 50 years more, because we do not know the day or the hour. They think that they are innocent, but they are not. 
They have robbed me of the joy of my blessed hope, all the anticipation and so forth from watching so many other good brothers in the Lord. It does take its toll because they seem to be seasoned prophecy watchers on the block, talking in this manner. And some seem to have hinged so much on scholarship and education and academia that I wonder what place the Scripture has in this thinking when it tells us that we have an unction from the Holy Spirit, so that we need not that any should teach us. That was First Peter, or uh, yeah, First Peter, or First uh, John. We just got done. Uh, that is pretty bad when the pastor doesn't remember what he preached on. We just talked about this: the unction from the Holy Spirit that gives you discernment. But here's this precious sister in the Lord going, oh, I guess I have to listen to them because they're the authority now. Because they have the academic credentials now. They have the scholarship now. So I guess I don't need the Holy Spirit or the Oh, I don't need the, the Scriptures, because apparently I can just go to them and they'll interpret it for me instead of me. Hmm. Studying is important, but to project that it is only the formally trained should have a voice is humiliating. Still, we are Christ's. Not so? You know what she's saying here? She's saying, I'm, I'm just a nobody that loves Jesus, and I'm watching for His soon return, as I'm told in the Scriptures I should. And I'm watching, and I'm discerning the times, and I'm understanding the times, and I know like the men of Issachar what I need to do. And I, and I happen to know a couple of verses, no, not like you. <laughs> but I, if I go to the Scriptures, I, 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 that's the final authority. The reason I wanted to start out this way and share this with you is because we're exhorted in Scripture, as this sister so eloquently and passionately writes, to be at the ready in our expectation of the rapture at any time. Paul was. 2,000 years ago, we who were alive and remain. Uh, every generation has, by God's design, thought that the rapture could happen in their lifetime. And it could have. And they were ready. And they weren't Greek and Hebrew scholars. 
They were not theologians. And you don't need to be a Greek or Hebrew scholar or theologian to know that the end is not near. The end is here. Ah, one more thing before I turn this next corner. I wonder sometimes if it's not the opposite that's true. Stay with me, hear me out. For those of you who see me as your pastor, which I'm profoundly privileged to be, you understand that I stand before you, as is my privilege to every week, as one who has no formal education. Again, nothing wrong with that. I have no Greek or Hebrew scholarship. I can speak a little bit of Arabic. I just thought I'd throw that in. Um, I'm just somebody that God looked at and thought, you know, I could probably use a guy like that. Yeah, but here's the heavenly host going. He doesn't even, he, not only does he not have an impressive resume, he actually doesn't even have a resume. I know. Yeah, but him? Come on, you can, you can do better than that. Actually, I'm going to use somebody like that, because then they will know it's not him. Because look at him. <laughs> I can't, I can't stand before you and give any credit to my credentials. Paul says, the reason I didn't come to you with my crushing intellect, which he possessed, my persuasive speech, which he possessed, the reason I didn't come to you, I could have, but I didn't. You want to know why? That way you would know is the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, and God's Word, not my intellect. So when you walk away, you're going, wow, if God could use somebody like that, there's hope for me. Because again, I'm pretty sure it's still there. You can look it up after the prophecy update, but God does choose the foolish to confound the wise, so that He alone gets the glory. I think of David. One last thing. He's not even in the lineup. Are you kidding me? Here comes Samuel. He's got the Urim, the Thummim. He's ready to anoint the next king of Israel to succeed Saul, from whom the kingdom has been taken away. He shows up. Seven young, built, buffed, work out every day at 24-hour fitness, especially the oldest brother, Eliab. And in that culture to this day, the firstborn, that's the one, the heir apparent. Surely Eliab is the next king of Israel. Can you picture them standing there? Iliab looking at those other brothers going, you know, it's me. I don't even know why you're bothering. So here comes Samuel. And even Samuel is baffled. It's like, it's not you. Iliab's going, I, d here, try again. No, 
It's not you. And then by age, he goes down the list. Seven brothers, none of them. He is flabbergasted. He says to Jesse, uh, the father, I'm pretty sure I didn't pull the wrong file here. You have, you have another son? Oh yeah, but come on, he's, he's the youngest. Where is he? Well, he's out, oh, tending to the sheep. Well, go get him. And nobody sits down, has a cup of coffee until he gets here. So could you imagine the surprise on David's face when they come out and they get him and said, hey, the prophet Samuel's there and he, he's asking for you. Me? Yeah, you. You talking to me? Yeah, you. So we're told the detail. I love it. God's got a sense of humor. A little ruddy, you know. He's a teenager. smells like sheep, comes in from the sheep that he's been tending. And you know, could you imagine, I I know that, I think like this, just pray for me, because I picture Layab going, the body language? Here, Here walks up David, what? Samuel, it's him. The brothers, what? Dad, no way. Even David's probably going, okay, well, my heart is after God's own heart. I am His to do with as He pleases. And then Samuel is even, and we're talking the prophet Samuel here, okay? The Lord has to like pull him aside, just say, hey, Sam, Sam, get over here. We're going to talk. I know you're, you're blown away here. <laughs> yeah, you think? Well, let me explain something to you. Man looks at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. I think about when King Asa is sent this prophecy from the prophet on the heels of a victory over a one million man army of the Ethiopians. And the prophet prophesies to him and says, don't you know that the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the earth, looking for hearts fully devoted to Him, so that He could be strong on their behalf? So just kind of picture this. Use your God-given imagination and picture God doing a search. I'm looking for somebody. Oh, can't use him. He thinks more highly of himself than he ought. And if I even tried to, well, he would certainly take all the credit for it. And everybody would be more than happy to give him all the credit for it. After all, look at his credentials. No wonder. Nah, I think I'll choose that guy. It's laughable. So that when I find a heart that is after my own heart, fully devoted to me, fully depending on me, fully relying on me, fully committed to me, now we're talking. I'm going to use them. 
Yeah, but he's not even a pastor. I know. Oh, he's, all he's got is a YouTube channel. I know. But I can use somebody like that. Yeah, but he hasn't written any books. That's actually going to seal the deal for me. That's the guy I'm going to use, because he's not going to be selling books at the table out front afterwards. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that they have fancied themselves now as being the experts. So that if God should happen to choose a David to use, the problem isn't that God's going to choose to use a David. The problem is when these other guys who have all of the credentials are not. And they cross the line when with that scholarship and academia and knowledge and theology and all of the above, they start looking down on and piling on and are condescending of and belittling of and dismissive of the guy that God chooses to use. Are we okay? So you've got a group of people now that God in His sovereignty, in His grace, has in His search found to choose and use that baffle the minds of all the experts. And they're actually daring to say, I think we're out of here. And this is the direction I want to go, and it's for this reason that I'm going in this direction. And what I want to do is build upon a detailed account in the book of Exodus, namely that of the departure preparedness, as it were, when the Israelites had to be at the ready to leave Egypt in haste. They started up YouTube channels there in Egypt. And they were doing these podcasts, and they were, they were saying, hey, th this is it. This is it. We need to be ready. Enter Exodus chapter 12, replete with typology concerning Jesus as the fulfillment of the Passover prophecy. I want to draw your attention to the specific details as it relates to the urgency and haste with which the Israelites had to be ready at any moment. No, no hurry. We got 50 years. No, no, no. Come back. Come back. Exodus 12. No, this is it. This is it. I want to kind of, by way of an introduction, this is only the introduction, Pastor? Well, not really, but we're, we're, we'll get there. It's going to be germane to our understanding of what the Spirit is saying to us as the church today, for those who have ears to hear and hearts to receive. Behold, I come quickly. Listen to verse 11, Exodus 12. 
Now, you understand the Passover. I'm not going to go into it, nor do I have the time to. But that tenth plague, the angel of death would pass over if they had the blood of the Lamb in the shape of a cross on the doorpost. They would be saved, and the angel of death would pass over them, a prophecy that would be fulfilled by the person of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Okay? Now, the Israelites are about to be taken out in haste of Egypt. No time. We don't have time. You don't have 50 years. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, ready to go, your sandals on your feet. We call them slippers. Don't call them flip-flops. I did that. Never call in Hawaii slippers flip-flop. You'll get flip-flopped if you do. <laughs> I mean, you've got your slippers on and your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. There's no time. Why? It is the Lord's Passover. It's time. This is happening. We're doing this. Verses 33 and 34, Exodus 12. And the, <laughs> the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. Hang on to that word haste. I, I really like this word haste in this context. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, no time, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. We're ready. We're ready to go. Good. In haste. Right. No time. I know. That's why. Verse 39, And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because Here's why. Listen, please, very carefully. They were driven out of Egypt. Can I say taken out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. Why is that? Because it happened so fast. Oh, I thought I had 50 years to prepare for provisions for this. No, no time. Oh, I thought, I, thought, I thought we had time we could wait for, no, and could not wait. No time to prepare the provisions, because I'm taking you out in haste, in haste, suddenly, quickly, now, now. Just checking again. Just checking. Pastor, where are you going with this? Just as the Israelites left Egypt in haste, not even preparing provisions, so too is this true for us. In other words, there had to be an urgency and a preparedness to leave in haste from Egypt, which in typology the world is a picture of Egypt. And just as Israel was taken out of Egypt with haste, so too will we be taken out of this world in the pre-trib rapture with haste. 
There's no time. There's no time. Now we still have a problem. What's the problem? The problem is that many Christians today do not possess this urgency. And as such, they're not preparing with haste for the pre-tribulation rapture. And this for several reasons, not the least of which is that they still think that we have time. I wrote a book a couple years ago, so it can't happen right now, because then I have to go back and rewrite that book, or take and edit it, or something, because we still have time, because this has to happen, that has to No, it doesn't. Well, according to the Greek and the Hebrew, no, that's, 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 no. Well, have you seen my credentials? Yeah, it's okay. it's okay. I don't need to see them. I know that you've got them framed huge on your wall in your office to, for on display. You dust them off every day. <laughs> if this weren't bad enough, instead of a pre-tribulation rapture preparedness, many are actually focused on the next pandemic preparedness. Why is that, you ask? Well, it's because many buy the lie with the prolific and powerful propaganda that's fed to the masses in ways never before known. It's the likes of which we have never seen before, nor will we ever see again. I, eh, I better not now. I'll wait. Um, I want to expound on this. Specifically, why do people buy the lie? Why is it so prevalent and pronounced? And even amongst Christians, and even amongst prophecy teachers. Well, I want to talk about that for the remainder of our time. So we're going to go ahead and end the live stream at this time. What I wanted to say <laughs> was this. <laughs> a couple years ago, this is back in 2020, 2021. Um, it, it's funny, but it's sad. You know what I mean? It's kind of a paradoxical thing. But um, it was asked of the, I want to say it was the Amish, you know, community, why nobody in the, you know, these Amish communities were getting COVID? And the answer was, because we don't have a TV. <laughs> True story. They didn't get sick, because see, they weren't brainwashed. Never. We did a whole, we did more than one prophecy update on the programming, the predictive programming. You know, the movies from even 50 years ago were all preparing us for this. It was predictive programming. You can go back even now, and when, I'll never forget that update. It was one of the more interesting ones. Boy, it took a lot of time, though, to go through all that material. But I only quoted a, 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 a handful of very well-known movies that had these very subtle, almost subliminal predictive programming about a, a virus, a pandemic. 
And oh, so interesting how it was almost verbatim in how it paralleled with what really happened. And th that's, just, that's just the movies and television programs and Netflix series. How about all the tabletop exercises that were conducted prior? You know, I, I've shared documentation with you. I had no intention of going this far, but too late. I'm already there, so uh, we'll take the scenic route this, uh, this time, I guess. I, I've shared with you documentation. By the way, you, you won't find it anymore. They pulled it. I've shared with you documentation about how they already had this quote-unquote vaccine in 2017. Did you know that? How did they know? <laughs> Wow! Amazing. Well, I'm kind of getting out about it. Anyway, I just wanted to say that now that we're not on YouTube and Facebook. Let's start with this post from a couple of weeks ago on July 21st. It's a fact sheet from the White House about the launch of what they're dubbing the Office of Pandemic Preparedness and Response Policy. Translated we want to prepare you for the next one. There's a next one? Yeah, the sequel. <laughs> Couple of brief quotes. The Office of Pandemic Preparedness and Response Policy will drive and coordinate federal science and technology efforts related to pandemic preparedness. Specifically, OPPR will oversee efforts to develop, manufacture, and procure the next generation of medical countermeasures. That right there doesn't sound good. Including leveraging emerging technologies, you know what that means, and working with HHS on next generation vaccines and treatments for COVID-19 and other public health threats, you know, the ones that we have been planning for decades and had these so-called vaccines already ready for, and we just needed to prepare you for this so that you would take what we prepared for you to take. Doubtless you know that they've been programming and preparing the population for the next pandemic for quite some time. And it's evidenced by this quote from Tony Blair at this year's World Economic Forum Davos 2023 conference titled, I mean just the title alone, 100 Days to Outrace the Next Pandemic. <laughs> I'm still trying to breathe after not having to wear a mask for three years. We got another one coming? Here's a quote, Blair, Tony Blair, you know who he was, right? Was, is, I don't care who he is. <laughs> You're going to have to look after that population first. And I also think this issue to do with the technology and the digital infrastructure, I just want to emphasize how important I think that is, because in the end you need the data, you need to know who's been vaccinated and who hasn't been. Some of the vaccines that will come on down the line will be multiple. 
there will be multiple shots you've got to have for reasons to do with health care, more generally, but certainly for a pandemic or for vaccines. You've got to have a proper, here it comes, digital infrastructure. And many countries don't have that. In fact, most countries don't have that. In other words, they're not prepared and they need to be prepared because we're about to launch this on you guys, y'all. Doubtless you also know that the narratives surrounding the pre-planned COVID pandemic and so-called vaccine that ensued was merely a dress rehearsal of sorts for what the demon-possessed conspirators have pre-planned next. By the way, I call them that for a reason. If you'll allow me to, I'll explain why. Some refer to them as the globalists, the deep state, the, you know, whatever. Uh, let's be honest. You can call them whatever title you want, put whatever label on it you want. These are demon-possessed people. And I would even venture to say that some have sold their soul to Satan with the promise that they would live forever under the banner of transhumanism. That's why I call them demon-possessed conspirators, because they are demon-possessed conspirators. They are conspiring together, and it is all driven by, and they are all possessed by demons. And it comes from Satan himself. Chief among them, you already see the picture of this guy. You know him well, none other than Bill Gates, who has seemingly been at the helm of this aforementioned narrative by continually reminding the brainwashed global population, and the global population is brainwashed. This global population, he seeks to reduce by his own admission, that we must have more public health bureaucracy for what he assures us will be, wait for it, the next pandemic. This according to The Hill in a recent interview with Gates, who should know, <laughs> because he's the one who pre-plans for, invests in, and profits from the very crisis he creates by offering what he's actually been quoted as calling the final solution. I mean, is it me? Am I reading a little bit too much into this? Am I overreacting? Am I overstating? Am I yelling? <laughs> yes, I'm yelling. I'll stop yelling. Here's the bottom line. <laughs> God in His wisdom, in His grace, in His love, has deemed it fit in His search for hearts fully devoted to Him to use 
them to sound the alarm that this is it. Be ready to be taken out in haste. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. What, what if there is another sequel, you know, COVID 2.0 or COVID the sequel, or kind of like the Rocky movies? How many were there? Like 28 of those? And rivaling the number of boosters that I heard true story that a young, uh, young person, teenager, ha has just received, that they run to, stand in line for, their eighth booster shot. Eighth. Eighth booster shot. Okay, so what if there's another one of these that they're preparing us for pre-rapture? I'm still preparing for the pre-trib rapture. I'm not going to let them prepare me for what they want to prepare for me. I'm going to be prepared for what Jesus said. He went to prepare for me a place in His Father's house. And if it were not so, He would not have told me that He goes to prepare a place for me, that where I am there where He is, there I may be also. You know what He's talking about, don't you? He's preparing a place for us as His bride to consummate and celebrate our marriage to the Lamb. And that celebration takes place for, wait for it, period of seven, number of completion. I like how one said it, while the world is tribulating, we're going to be celebrating. And at the end of the seven, the bride emerges from that place that the groom prepared for her in his father's house, this bridal chamber. They emerge for a huge feast, the wedding feast of the Lamb. And I, I mean, that's what I'm getting ready for. That's what I'm prepared for. I, I can't wait, because Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to go and prepare this place. And think about this, and I, I think I mentioned this last week. I'll just mention it real quick. It's uh, mind-boggling. So God, literal six days of creation, created the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that in them is, right? Um, and Jesus started the preparation to almost 2,000 years ago. Oh, what's that going to be like? No eye has seen, nor ear has heard. It would be, Paul said, criminal to try to even communicate or articulate the glory that awaits. It's impossible to even describe, indescribable. I'm, I'm preparing for that which Jesus said He's preparing for me. I'm not going to let them prepare me for what they are preparing. I'm preparing for my bridegroom to come back, and for the trumpet to sound. And in haste, I am taken out.
And so are you too. <laughs> you better be. Because <laughs> you'll show up here, we're going to be gone. That's not, not very nice to say it like that. But. I'm almost done. But can I just say, I will not buy the lie from the father of lies. And here's why. He wants to give me a spirit of fear to steal my joy, kill my hope, and destroy my faith. Because the thief, the enemy, comes not except to steal, kill, and destroy. What does he want to steal, kill, and destroy? He wants to steal your joy. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. He wants to kill your hope. And he wants to destroy your faith. And does this not accomplish that? What do you mean? Well, Jesus in Matthew 24 contrasts two servants in a parable. It's, it's quite a profound and powerful and poignant parable, because one servant is righteous, the other is unrighteous. You got the faithful servant and the wicked servant. And to the servants, the master says, I'm going to go, but I'll come back. And I'm going to entrust you to steward and be faithful with that which I've called you to. And then when I come, I want to find you faithful doing what I called you to do. So the righteous, faithful servants like, okay, let's do this, because he could come back at any time. In haste, I better be ready. So he was found faithful when his master did return. The wicked one? <laughs> He's like, eh, we got 50 years. Let's party. And that's what he did. Read it for yourself, Matthew 24. He said, no, oh, now nah, my master delays his coming. Wait, <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, no hurry, no worry. We got 50 years. Have you seen my degrees? I just dusted them off this morning. No, let's party. He, he drunk with drunkards and ate with gluttons and partied with partiers. And, and I'll leave it there, beat on his fellow service. I mean, no, no hurries. He, he delays his coming. I, we still got plenty time. Party on. And then much to his surprise, his master comes in an hour he expects not. And what does he find him doing? The most dangerous and seductive lie the enemy ever told was that there's no hurry. I like how one Bible commentator described it and illustrated it, like this emergency meeting in, with Satan and all the demons. It's kind of like, hey, we're losing ground for the kingdom of darkness. We need to come up with a new strategy. So one of the demons says, I, I got an idea. Let's lie to them that there's no heaven. Satan's like, nah, that's not going to work. Come on. The whole creation. 
speaks of a creator. And then another guy, demon, pops up, says, hey, I know, not no heaven. How about there's no hell? That'll kind of take the edge off. Yeah, Satan says, no, that might work on some, but not everyone, because there's within man, God has already, Ecclesiastes says, set eternity in their hearts, so they know better. You might get some, but they're not going to fall for that. Satan says, here's what we're going to do. It's not the lie of there's no heaven or the lie of there's no hell. It's the lie of no hurry. See, if we can take the urgency, the haste, the now out of this, then hey, what's the hurry? No worry. We got plenty of time. That's how we're going to get him. And he did. He did. You know, the, the believer, I don't care what your qualifications or scholarship is, the believer that lives their life like that, like that, <laughs> is going to be the one that does the most good here on earth. And I beg to differ. In fact, I vehemently oppose and disagree with Mark Twain, who said, you can be so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. It's the opposite that's true. The more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you'll do. Why? Because this is it. And by the way, let's just say, this isn't it, which it is. <laughs> what have you lost? I can't imagine anybody in heaven after the rapture, even just during the seven years of celebrating our, our consummating of the marriage to our bridegroom, I can't imagine anybody going, man, I wish I didn't prepare for this so much. I, if I had to do it all over again, I probably wouldn't have taking it so seriously. Nobody's going to be in heaven going, wow, you know, if I'd have known it was going to be this soon, in haste, that Jesus was going to come back this quickly, nobody's going to regret being prepared. The opposite is going to happen. That's going to be the regret, if I'd have only known. Boy, what have I, I have done things differently. Okay. I said I was going to end, so how about I do that? As for me and my house, and church too, we're prepared, and like with the Israelites being hastily taken out of Egypt, so too are we prepared to be hastily taken out of this world. Again, we're either prepared for what's being prepared next for the world, or we're prepared for the place Jesus prepared for us when we're taken out of the world. Would you agree that it's the latter? That's the urgency. 
This is the purpose of these prophecy updates. This is why we do this. This is why we end with the gospel, the good news of salvation. Because, by the way, the rapture is part of the gospel. Don't just stop at Jesus died, He was buried, and He rose again. No, that's, that's not the whole story. Jesus died for us. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. And here's the rest of the story. He's coming back again for us one day, soon and very soon. Good news. That's the gospel. What are the ABCs? Talk about simple. Even a child could do it. Hmm. Does that sound familiar? It should. Jesus said, unless you become like a child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. It's so simple. And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that you don't have to know quantum physics to get saved? I mean, seriously, would any of us be here right now? Maybe if you know quantum physics, please don't let us know that you know quantum physics. <laughs> You'd be the only one here. It's just a simple childlike explanation of salvation. It's just a tool to equip you, should God ever present you with the profound privilege of sharing Jesus Christ with somebody who needs Jesus Christ, by the way. The A is just simply for admit or acknowledge that you're a sinner, because why would you be interested in the Savior if you don't see yourself as a sinner? You don't see yourself as God sees you. How does God see me? Oh, that there is no one righteous, Romans 3.10, not even one. How does God see me? Oh, Romans 3.23, God sees you as a sinner because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, so I'm a sinner. Now what? Well, there's a penalty for it. What's the penalty? The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. But here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the good news of salvation found in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the A. Here's the B. Just very simple. So it's almost, is this a word? It's simpler. Is that, just to say that's a word. It's simpler than the simple ABCs. It's simpler. It's, it's just be. Believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. That's pretty simple. And the C lastly is for call upon the name of the Lord. Or as Romans 10, 9 and 10 also says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You will be saved. Not you might. And then Romans 10, 13 reinforces it. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's that simple. Wait, I don't have to do anything? No. He did it all. Do I have to pay anything? No. He paid it all. Isn't there something that I have to like be baptized first? No. 
Do I have to do, go through any classes? No. Can I just share with you? I haven't done it for a while. Here's this precious lady, gives her life to Jesus Christ, wants to become a member of her local church. She goes to the church. She says, you know, I, I just got saved. I'm born again, and I want to be a member of the church. And so the clergy said, well, you have to uh, first fill out this application. So she goes, fills out the application, brings it back. Can I be a member? No. Now you have to complete this course. So she completes the course, comes back. Can I be a member now? No. Now you have to go through this Bible study for 12 weeks. So she goes through the 12 weeks, finishes the Bible study, comes in, goes, can I be a member now? Say, no. Now you got, and she just breaks down and cries, leaves goes to a park bench, sits down, cries out to the Lord, Lord, what do I have to do? And Jesus just comes, sits down next to her and says, oh, sweetheart, I've been trying to get into that church for years. <laughs> Today's Bud God testimony comes from, get this, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, sweetheart. Uh, Asif Kundil, who writes, Dear Pastor JD, thank you for taking your valuable time to read this But God testimony. Aloha. I am a 12-year-old living in Wales, the UK near, and she helps me because I butchered this one time with another online member, Swansea. It's not spelled like that. Swansea. I hope that this testimony will be a source of encouragement for those of my young age and all the body of Christ. This is a 12-year-old. Listen to this. Previously, before the beginning of this pandemic, our family was like most, going with the flow, living as lukewarm Christians. It grieves me to say how little we knew of God's Word, especially prophecy, and what little distinction there was between us as the church and the world around us, out of the mouth of babes, a 12-year-old. But even in that time, God used what the enemy meant for evil, and He turned it for good. What was it? Three years ago, we began on a journey, and the Lord did a wondrous work in each and every member of our family. Immediately we suspected something was up when Corona was published. And the Lord led us to your YouTube channel, and shortly after your website. Wow, that's really something, because I don't have any degrees or credentials. That's amazing. Subsequently, we felt, <laughs> a 12-year-old, subsequently, <laughs> we felt God was calling us out of our church as well, due to differing views on the injection. How sad is that? None of us have taken the death shot, by God's grace. We continue to gather in our home weekly to watch Flog, as my younger six-year-old sister says. How adorable is that, Fawag? I actually like Fawag better. <laughs> <laughs> 
thankfully, one by one, the Lord revealed revelation after revelation and matured us rapidly in regards to prophecy. We believe in a pre-trib rapture, the millennial reign, salvation, the three revelations of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, worship, judgment, spiritual warfare, health. Yes, we are anti-vaxxers and even long-suffering, a 12-year-old. I know chicken skin, right? Oh, sorry, goosebumps, I think is goosebumps and flip-flops. She continues, listen to this, simultaneously, right before you know what happened, the Lord Jesus rescued our little sister, once cousin from a broken relationship in Romania, where my mom is from. I love that one. The, in only two weeks, by the Lord's hand, we had her passport and documents ready, and she was brought to the UK to live with us. We knew it would be difficult, and sure enough it was, but we persevered in the Lord. She is now a wonderful little girl, and developing in her reading, writing, and even math massively. She dedicated her life to the Lord just this year. The Lord beautifully ordained our family, and each of us have been granted such beautiful gifts. I myself jumped three years ahead in school, talk about academia, and will be doing my IGCSE, I don't even know what that is, examinations this summer. My older brother jumped two years ahead, and my oldest sister, Rosa, jumped one year ahead. Wow, you guys smart. We give all the glory back to God. That's probably why. As we continue to be perfected by His beauty, living in the fear of the Lord Jesus Christ, although our reputation does not matter, the favor of God is much higher than man's favor. God willing, this month we will be opening an organic bakery in our local town, Neath, selling only the best and sharing the gospel and Bible prophecy. Previously we sought to become more like the world. Now we take up our cross. I still can't believe she's 12. Now we take up our crosses daily, crucifying the flesh, humbling ourselves, believing in faith, simply as little children, in great anticipation for His imminent return, and especially reaching the lost. Thank you, J.D. Farag, I was going to say Fawag, for your diligence, humility, and great sense of humor in spreading the truth, capital T. May you be blessed by the Lord as He continues to strengthen you in these final days and reveal His Word. Your sermons in particular, prophecy updates, have been such a blessing to us all. We would love to come and visit you in person. Yours sincerely, Asaph Kundil. We would love to have you. God bless you. Watch you all stand. We'll close in prayer and song. Wow, that, that is just, wow, just wow. Praise the Lord. <laughs> oh God, You're so good. You're so good. You're so amazing. We're just in awe of You, Lord. We're in love with You, Lord. We can't wait for You to come for us, Lord. Come quickly, Lord. We're ready. You preparing a place for us has prepared us for the place You're preparing for us. 
So come and get us. We want to go. Thank you for the gift of eternal life, salvation, the gospel, the good news. Thank you for paying in full the price and then offering us the gift that you paid for. Lord, I pray for anyone who might even be here or watching online. And that's why they are, because today is the day of salvation. And I pray that today they would make the most important decision of their life for eternal life. And those of us who have Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, Amen.